Today, uh, we continue looking at the book of James. One of the first things I do in the morning when I get up is to look in the mirror. Now, I don't do it because I'm vain or because I enjoy it, but I do it because it's unavoidable. I get up in the morning, I go in the bathroom, and unless I keep my eyes closed and my head bowed, I've got to look in that mirror. And when I look in that mirror, I see those squinty eyes and just got out of bed. I see the hair that's sticking up in all sorts of strange places. I, I see the stubble and realize I have to, to go and shave. It, it's just not a pretty sight. But you know what I'm talking about, because all of you did that this morning, didn't you? All right. I hope none of you got depressed, but I know all of you at some point looked in a mirror. Well, why do we even have mirrors? What are mirrors for? Uh, well, one thing, mirrors don't lie. They tell the truth. What you see coming back is really what you look like. It doesn't lie to you. And the other thing is the purpose of a mirror is not just to tell us the truth about how we look, but it's to tell us the truth so we can realize it and then do something about it. That's the purpose of a mirror, is so we can make the necessary corrections that need to be made about our appearance. You know, you look in the mirror, make a quick little mental evaluation of what you do look like and what you should look like, and you go make the corrections. Now, some people might get up and they might convince themselves, hey, I look okay, and you know, a little water on your hand and get that cowlick down on the back of your head and you think you're, you're good to go. But you really need to, to look in the mirror and let it really tell the truth and then you need to respond accordingly. Don't kid yourself. Uh, today James is going to use that very simple idea of a mirror to tell us some important things about our faith. So what does a mirror have to do with being a Christian? What is that spiritual mirror all about? Well, it, it's simply this. As a Christian, as a believer, as, as a follower of Jesus Christ, when we look in that spiritual mirror, the key question for us is, do we resemble the message we profess to believe? Do we resemble the message we profess to believe? Well, why is this important? Well, it's important because... In the Christian life, it's not so much about what you do as it is about who you are. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, We may think God wants actions of a certain kind, but God wants people of a certain kind. And certainly, if you are a person of a certain kind, if you become the person that God wants you to be, then those actions that you need to take care of will follow because of who you are. Last week, James told us that every good gift comes from an unchanging God. And at the end of what you looked at last week, in verse 18, he says this. He said, He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. The number one example of the good things that God gives to you, the number one example is a spiritual birth. And so building on that idea, James says in verse 19, he says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. He, says, he stays connected with verse 18 and he says, Take note of this. 
Take note of this. Take note of this word, of what it's done in your life. Another way to say take note of this is to say you know this. You know this. And here's what he's kind of saying. He says, you know this. You know that the power of the word was able to give you new birth and to make you into his prized possession. He says, you know this. But then he goes on to say, since you know this, then you need to follow up on what you know. You've experienced the power of God working in your life, that power that that came in and created you a new, a new person in Jesus Christ. And now James says, now you've got to let that do a work in you. And he says the way that you do that is to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. You might think, well, these words that he talks about, about being uh, slow to, or quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, are talking about our relationships with other people. But actually what he's talking about here is our relationship to God's word, not so much about our relationships to other people and our interactions with the word of God. He says we must be quick to listen and slow to speak. In other words, we must be willing to listen to the word of God, to listen to what it says to us, to not to form our own opinions, to not to tell the word of God what we believe and try to make it conform to us. But we need to listen to God's word. And also, he says that we should be slow to speak. In other words, we should be more willing to listen to what God's word has to say to us than we are to speak and to teach others. We should be willing to learn before we go in and before we teach. And then he says that we must be slow to anger. Human anger, he says, does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Anger in this context means a deep and an internal resentment. And what he's talking about in this context is a deep and internal resentment to God's word. And you might think, well, how in the world can you have a deep and internal resentment to God's word if you are a follower of Jesus Christ? How in the world does that work? Well, the resentment comes when God's word contradicts what we want to do or what we want to be or what we want to believe. When, when the word of God contradicts that, it sets up a tension. And so a lot of us will become basically resentful of God's word because God's word will not justify what we want to do in the way that we want to live. That internal resentment, though, James says, is not going to produce righteousness. But but think about it. Of all the passionate responses that you have, anger is the one that gets justified the most. It is. We, we all justify our anger. If we get angry, well, I was mad and I was justifiably angry because he did something or she did something or he said something or this is going on or that's going on. And we justify our anger. It's easy to do. But anger is like a fog. It's like a fog. First, it blinds the mind to the Word of God. And then it rules our minds Instead of the word of God. That's what anger does. And anger is just simply full of mistakes. You're going to make mistakes when you're angry. Not just mistakes with other people. You're going to make mistakes as it relates to to your Christian walk. And your relationship to Christ. 
So no matter how justifiable you think your anger is, it does not reflect God's righteousness. He says in verse 21, Therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. What James is saying here is, what he's talking about is something once and for all. It's something that is to take place once and for all. He's talking here when he says that we are to get rid of. What he's talking about is it's like changing clothes. That, that you take off your dirty, old, sweaty clothes and put them aside and you put on clean clothes. Now, how many of you do that and then after a while say, huh, I think I'll go put on my dirty clothes again? That's silly. You're out working in the garden, mowing the grass. It's 94 degrees outside. And you come in, and you're dirty, and you're hot, and you're sweaty. And so you throw those old dirty clothes on the floor, and you go take a shower, and you put on nice, clean clothes. How many of you have ever, about an hour later, said, hmm, I think I'll go put on those old dirty, sweaty clothes again? See, that's what James is talking about here. It's a once and for all thing. When he says to put it off, you get rid of it once and for all. It's not something that you keep coming back to. And instead, he says that we are to humbly accept the message of God, that we are to seek to live by it, because he says it's something that's been planted in us. It's been planted in our hearts. When you became a Christian, God's word was planted in your heart. And as long as, as you're dealing with all this other stuff that doesn't belong there, it's hard for that to grow because it's got competition. But when you humbly get rid of all the filth and humbly accept the Word of God, it's planted in you, it grows. And it bears fruit in your life. You may say, well, what is this moral filth and evil that's so prevalent? What is it? Well, I'm not going to do a list this morning because what happens is you're sitting there and you know what, it, you know what yours is already. And so here's the preacher and he's rattling off a list and I get done and you go, Phew. He didn't mention mine. No, if there's something in your life that doesn't belong there, God has already pointed it out to you through the Holy Spirit. He's already pointed it out to you. You know what it is. And so James is saying, deal with it. Deal with it. You know what's there. Get rid of it once and for all. Don't keep going back to it. One of the key points is, is the idea that progress in our spiritual life or progress in our spiritual lives cannot occur unless we see sin for what it is, quit justifying it, and decide to reject it. He says in verse 22, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. We're kidding ourselves if we think it's just enough to listen to God's Word. We're kidding ourselves if we think it's just enough to learn from God's Word. You know how it goes. You know, I, I listened to the pastor's sermon today. I listened to it, and I actually learned something. Or I listened to my life group leader and, and I actually learned something today. Or I read my Bible this morning, and as I was reading in the, the Gospel of John, God opened something up for me, and I just saw it in a brand new light for the first time. And I learned something. Now, all of that's well and good. 
But if that's all you do, James says that you are deceiving yourself. Deceiving yourself literally means a miscalculation. You have made a serious miscalculation in your life if you think that all that's involved with God's Word is for you to hear it and to learn from it. There's a whole lot more. Because the point here is that we must live and do the Word of God, not just hear it and learn from it. The miscalculation is the idea that we have become or will ever become the person that God really wants us to be just because we hear the Word of God and maybe learn something from it. We make a couple of miscalculations. One is that we think we can hear and, and learn from the Word of God and then go off and, and live any way we want. That's a serious miscalculation. God accepts us because we confess and repent, not because we learn from his word, not because we hear his word, not because we read his word and then go off and live any way we want to. No, it comes when we confess and when we repent. Repentance means a complete turnaround. When the word of God comes to you, it, it, it should cause you, if, there's, if you're heading in the wrong direction, it should cause you to change complete direction. It's not something we just read and then go off and live any way that we want to. God accepts us because we turn to him and because we live for him. And it's another miscalculation if we think, well, we can just memorize God's word. Now, memorization is important. We teach our children to memorize scripture. Here at church, for as long as I can remember, when I was a kid in church, memorize scripture, memorize scripture, memorize scripture, and, and we memorized it. And a lot of people know scripture and can quote a lot of scripture. I always get a little embarrassed sometimes when I'm out with, with other pastors and they'll be talking and he'll say, well, <clears throat> you know what it says in Matthew 5, 14? I go, well, not really. <laughs> Why don't you enlighten me? And he'll, and he'll tell me what that particular passage says and I'll go, oh, yeah, 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 I, I know that. I mean, I knew the passage. I, I had memorized it. I just couldn't tell you the, the thing. But what he's talking about here is, is something totally different. The idea that we think we can just memorize it. Certainly, that's internalizing it. But if internalizing it does not cause us to live differently, then we're kind of missing the point. Uh, you remember how many things you memorized in school? You memorized things just so you could pass the test. Had a teacher one time in high school, and she wrote tons of stuff on the board, and we were just furiously writing. And, and we were constantly asking her, is this going to be on the test? Is this going to be on the test? The translation of that means, if it's not going to be on the test, I'm not going to bother to write it down and memorize it, because I don't need to know it. You know what I'm talking about. You did that too. But the thing is, you don't use it. You may memorize something, but if you don't use it, if you don't practice it, then it's soon forgotten, and it's soon gone away. If we don't practice what we hear and learn from God's Word, it fades from memory. You know, I, I, I did well in, in geometry in, in high school. I couldn't solve a geometry equation now if my life depended on it. Just because I only learned it because I had to, I didn't practice it in my life, and it has faded from my memory. And James says the danger, the danger is that the Word of God we might memorize it, we might hear it, we might learn from it, but if it doesn't become a part of us, if we don't practice it, it soon fades from memory. And here's where he uses the mirror. He talks about the mirror. He says, if, if we just hear and learn, 
If we just hear and learn, then we're like the person who looks in a mirror, who sees that the change needs to be made about their appearance, but when he walks away, he forgets what he saw. He becomes distracted, and he forgets about it. I had a funeral not too long ago, and it was a windy day. And when I was walking to the car, I, I knew my hair was getting blown all over the place. And when I got in the car, I looked in the, in the mirror, and yeah, my hair was every which way. And I thought, well, there's no need to comb it now, because when I get out again, it's going to be all messed up. So right before I got out of the car at the funeral home, pulled in the parking lot, right before I got out, I looked in the mirror. I went, remember to comb your hair the first thing when you get in the funeral home. I walked in the door of the funeral home, started talking with one of the funeral directors, totally forgot about my hair. Did the funeral. We closed the casket. We went out. I got in the funeral coach, and I looked in the mirror. I had done the whole funeral with this windblown, take a blow dryer and mess it up kind of hair. That's what James is saying here, that if you're not careful, you, you, you might see the truth, you might hear the truth, you might even know the truth, but if you don't act on it immediately after, then you're going to forget about it. You're going to become distracted. There are 100 million distractions that will lead you away from it. So he says, don't be like the person who looks in the mirror. If you look into the Word of God, which is our mirror, the Word of God shows us what we need to be like. And when we look in the Word of God, we see ourselves and whether we are the right kind or the wrong kind of person that God wants us to be. That mirror is there. So when we look at it, if we are convicted of some sin in our life, if we find some character defect, if we find something in our lives that we need to clean up, then we need to act on it then because the effectiveness of God's Word in your life is going to be how you act on it and how soon you act on it because the longer you put it off, then the easier it is to forget not just what it said, but what it said that you look like and what you need to do. In your life. But here's the contrast. He says in verse 25, he says, But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. He says, The person who hears and does the word of God will be blessed. He said, whoever looks into it and continues in it. It's called the perfect law. Why is it perfect? Well, it's perfect for one reason, because it's God's law. It was given and revealed by a perfect God. It's a perfect law because it can't be bettered. It was written by God himself. It cannot be bettered. But another reason it's perfect is the way perfection is used here. The idea is that it's perfection towards a given end. In other words... It's meant to be obeyed. It's meant to be followed. His law is perfect because if you follow it, if you do what it says, then you will become the person that God wants you to be. You will become that people of a certain kind that C.S. Lewis mentioned a little bit earlier. And he also calls it the law of liberty because what that means is the word of God frees you from bondage. It not only sets you in the right path toward the right goal, but it frees you from bondage. 
The word will free you from temptations. The word will free you from all that's going on in your life. Because when we live the word of God, we are freed from all that enslaves us. Freedom and liberty, purpose and meaning, security and safety, victory over temptation, joy and rejoicing, assurance and confidence, life over death, deliverance from sin, all of those come when we hear and learn and continue in God's word. In verse 26, he says, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. And their religion is worthless. You might think this is an odd way to kind of end this. It sounds like it really doesn't relate to what we've just been talking about. But remember we asked at the beginning, do you resemble the message that you profess to believe? Do we, as followers of Christ, do we resemble the message we profess to believe? And how important it is that it's not just about what we do, but it's about who we are. A lot of people will define themselves as religious. It's kind of a general term. People will say, well, I'm a religious person. And usually when they say that to me, I have them explain it. Because it means a whole lot of different things to a lot of people. To some people, it just means, well, we, I go to church occasionally. So that makes me a religious person. Or I basically try to live a moral life, so that makes me a religious person. Or I generally believe what the Bible says, so I'm kind of a religious person. Or that, you know, Jesus is a really great guy, said some really great things, um, so that, that kind of makes me uh, a religious person. Being religious is a very vague term. That's why I ask people to define it when they tell me they're religious. In fact, the New Testament only uses the word religious four times. And two of them are here. And there's a good reason. Because it's just a vague term. And people misinterpret it. Being religious generally, though, refers to what people do on the outside, not what's on the inside. When people tell you they're religious, they will tell you what they do. They, they go to church. They, they read the Bible. They might help someone else. And, and all of those things are good. Don't get me wrong. But it's all about the ritual that they go through. They never talk about a change that's occurred on the inside. And that's what James is about. That basically he's saying that if all you do with your religion is outward and just going through the motions or doing the right things, then he says it's worthless. It's worthless. And he says you need to watch out for your tongue because our verbal actions speak louder than our religious rituals. They do. And here's why he mentions the tongue. Because there is a lightning-fast interchange between your heart and your tongue. In other words, the tongue will betray what's in your heart before your mind has a chance to stop it. It will. We've all done that. We've said something, and as soon as it's out of our mouth, we're reaching out to try to grab it and stuff it back in. It's lightning fast. We didn't have a chance to stop it. We said it before we thought. And the reason we did was because we were betraying what was really in our heart. And that's why he's saying you got to be careful. Because if, if you can't control your tongue, it's really showing what's in your heart. And if that's true, then basically the religion that you think you have, James is saying, is worthless. 
He says in verse 27, though, here's the right kind. He says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. We're kidding ourselves if we think that just religious practices can lead us to a right kind of life or can lead us to become the person that God wants us to be. Because the finest ritual, the finest worship that that we can offer to God is service to the poor and the distressed and a personal purity. Because the point here is that real religion lies in the practical service of others and in the purity of one's own personal life. And it's not either or. It's both and. Kind of hits the extremes. You know, you have the truth-only crowd, and then you have the grace-only crowd. And this is grace and truth. It hits both. Because what, what James is saying here is that every true Christian will care about justice and works of compassion. Every true Christian will care about those things. But he also says that every true Christian will care about morality, chastity, honesty, fidelity, modesty, and purity. Both of those things go together. It's not one or the other. They both go together. Grace and truth. And all throughout history, people have been trying to make up for the grace part, or maybe even for the truth part, by going through religious rituals. They think, if I can just keep up my religious ritual, if I can just show up to church more often than I don't show up to church, then I'm, 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 on, my, I'm on my way. No, that's not what he's saying here. He says that real religion involves helping others and involves personal purity. James probably was influenced by the prophet Micah, and I love what Micah says in chapter 6 of Micah, the prophet. He says... Actually, ask the question. He says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? In other words, he's saying, What outwardly can I do? What can I do? What religious act can I do for you, God? Then he names some. He says, Shall I come before you, or come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? What religious ritual can I do? God answers. He says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. There are two ands in that last part of the sentence. To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly. No ors in there. It's all together. To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly. With your God. Remember, it's not so much about what you do, it's about who you are. And when you look into God's Word, you need to look into God's Word and you need to let God's Word show you who you are. 
And you need to ask yourself, do I resemble the faith that I profess, that message that I proclaim? Do I resemble it? And then you need to act on it. You need to act on it because that's the only way you're going to become the person that God wants you to be. William Barclay said that pure and lasting religion is the spirit that pervades our hearts and our lives. So here's a question today. What do you see when you look into the spiritual mirror that is God's Word? What do you see? But the more important question is what do you do about it when you see it? Does it lead you to change? Does it lead you to do the Word and not just be a hearer of the Word? Let's pray.